0: super talk mississippi media production state treasurer david McRae is returning record amounts of money to mississippians whether it's through the college and career savings program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim treasurer david McRae says get your application and claims today treasury.ms.gov
1: howdy howdy it's rhino here and i wanted to say thank you for listening to middays with gerard gibbert here on super talk mississippi
2: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbard, along with Rhino in the Element Well Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday, y'all. <laughs> yeah, man. Who turned the air conditioner on out there?
1: It's not that they turned it on, they left it on all night. <laughs> That's exactly right. It
2: was steadily dropping when we left uh, yesterday throughout the day oh yeah but i believe we were spared of the more severe weather huh there you you were
1: think? two spin-up tornadoes i saw <laughs> report or at least they believe they're tornadoes they got to go in and do all the the looking and researching and determine whether or not it was a downburst or a tornado and then if it was a tornado what grade it was yeah but, uh, yeah i saw reports of at least two so that's bad but yeah we're pleased it wasn't worse than that, considering some of the hoopla they were giving.
2: Well, yeah, that's the main thing, is the forecast certainly called for... Well, it called for hail and gusty winds, but it wasn't till
1: first thing in the morning yesterday that they yeah. started talking about tornadic possibilities, and then they put the tornado watch out while we were doing the first segment yesterday.
2: So, what do you think? Are we done with the uh, really cold weather? Hmm... What it is think? the middle
1: of February, so it, this could be one of the last cold snaps, but I don't know. Mother Nature does have a way of surprising us.
2: Yeah, so true. Today on the program, Pamela Jr., up in the next segment, the director of two Mississippi museums, 11.05, Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist for Talk Mississippi News, and at 12.05, the executive director of the Mississippi Department of Transportation, Brad White will come tell us about the governor's announcement of the plan to allocate, proposal to allocate $1.3 billion in infrastructure projects across the great state of Mississippi. Looking forward to those interviews today. A busy Friday today with uh, three guests on the program, Uh, and of course, I think we're Certainly pleased to have Executive Director Brad White on. That was, uh, shall we say, a last-minute deal because we just found out late yesterday after we were on the show about the governor's announcement. So really uh, really good that he's able to get his schedule situated to come on and talk to us about that. That's big news here in the state of Mississippi. Up there in Washington, the big news, Rhino, is that Joe Biden is deemed fit for duty. After three-hour annual physical, I'm trying to figure out. I have one every six months. Now, my, my doctor, a great friend, longtime friend, go back to high school, he put me on a six-month plan. Not that I have any health issues, because I don't. Thank God. I've got a great, clean bill, bill of health. But once you get on up there at age, it's a good idea, I reckon. Not for Joe, though. He's perfectly fit. Of course, there were no cognitive tests. Well, of course not. So, I know, and I'm sure you heard it as well, folks, Uh, and you too, Rhino, I would imagine that you heard uh, a regular refrain from the public. He'll die while he's in office. He'll never make it the whole time. You remember hearing that? A lot. Well, if it's going to happen, he ain't got much longer in office when you think about it. Uh, 22 months? I do that right? I think so. 22 months. Well, that's
1: presuming he doesn't win re-election.
2: Yeah, correct. I think he's going to run. Oh, yeah. A, a, I think that's a done deal. Can he win?
1: I mean, the cagey responses from any Democrat that you ask about supporting him, should he run, yeah, that tells you everything you need to know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Our good friend Price Wallace, Representative Price Wallace, sent us his text, said it, Old saying is, if it thunders in February, it will frost in April. I hadn't heard that one, but I believe it. I remember as a youngster, long before we had all these sophisticated forecast tools that we have today, the first day of spring, I'd have to think of the year, 70, 69, something like that. My parents were out of town on a business event, and I was staying with uh, a family up the street that uh, we were friends with, and we got up the next morning not anticipating what was going to happen overnight because the weather forecasters were not informing us of it, and looked outside, and there were nine inches of snow on, what is that, March 21st or whatever the first day of spring is. And, of course, we're celebrating at the closing of school, as it were. You couldn't drive a vehicle or anything, but at an unexpected snowfall in central Mississippi
1: back then. Yeah, meteorological predicting has gotten a lot more accurate in just a few generations' time. I mean, what was it, 1970? I want to say it was 70 when the first weather satellite was launched and started sending back imaging. Right. But the problem with that was it would it would send the imaging digitally to NOAA, but then NOAA would have to print them out and mail them physically <laughs> That's to meteorologist.
2: Right. And most of the the uh, the media weather casters, as we would call them back then, were not meteorologists. They just consumed the information from the National Weather Service meteorologist. And just conveyed that, presented that as part of the newscast. Pretty much had to rely on the local channels, television channels, affiliates with the national networks. That's where you got it. And it was only twice a day for the most part. And that's how you got – you couldn't just go to the weather channel on your iPhone and see what the current – Get all the granular
1: (laughs) data down to 15-minute increments.
2: Exactly, It really is incredible it 'll
1: th- be this humidity with this wind out of this direction and it'll be this time when it starts raining.
2: I'll have Didn't to have any of that. I'll have to confess that in my considerable travel experience on commercial aircraft, if we're if I know we're flying through weather, of course you got Wi-Fi on the airplanes, and I'll crank up uh, one of the apps I use for weather, radar scopes, the one I happen to like. It's, it's like a $10 a year app. It's expensive. It's 10 bucks a year, but it's incredibly precise and very useful. I find it to be better than other apps. But while I'm sitting in a seat on an airplane, just kind of, I look outside, you know, look at the weather, and then I'll crank up the app on the Wi-Fi, and it'll plot your position. It'll show your position, and you can see and watch the airplane's the, the uh, pilot, I should say, navigate the aircraft around the storms, and that's because they have very sophisticated tools in the cockpit that we didn't have uh, all the time here. It's a, a relatively recent in terms of the decades of air travel, but you just wonder how many accidents due to weather have been avoided because of this sophisticated technology. A, a lot. Honestly, with all that onboard radar and all sorts of weather avoidance and and, uh, information they have right there in the cockpit. What the National Weather Service had times 10, 30 years ago, probably, if you think about it. But we're digressing a bit. So Joe Biden's physician, Dr. Kevin C. O'Connor, said Mr. Biden, 80, remains fit for duty and fully executes all of his responsibilities without any exemptions or accommodations. In a memo summarizing himself, he described him as a healthy, vigorous 80-year-old male who is fit to successfully execute the duties of the presidency to include those as chief executive, head of state, and commander-in-chief. Stated the memo from Dr. Kevin C. O'Connor, Meanwhile, Nikki Haley, you know who she is, running for president. Well, what what a controversy has already erupted over her candidacy. First she says she supports term limits for members of Congress. I don't know that I've ever seen a presidential co- a candidate make that proclamation as part of their platform.
1: You remember, not from one of the main two parties now.
2: Libertarian candidate perhaps, independent. She also says that anyone that, uh, that qualifies to run for president, or I, I should say that intends to run for president, seeks to sign up, should submit to a cognitive test if they're over the age of 75. How about that? You seen that? Oh, yeah. And, of course, detractors say it's a direct slant at President Trump.
1: Don Lemon got in high water How about over. Don
2: Lemon? <laughs>
1: She's past her prime. And then
2: this morning, if you tune in, Don's off today. He ain't there today, is he? Don Lemon, who's like 58 or something. <laughs> We're taking a break. Pamela Jr., the director of two museums, up next.
0: That keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi Live from the Element Wealth Studios. And joining us now, Pamela Jr., director of two Mississippi museums. How's it going today, Pamela?
3: Good morning. Good morning. Glad to be here.
2: You bet. So, wanted to have you on to talk about uh, two uh, Mississippi museums. The Civil Rights Museum, in particular, is incredibly important to our state and was named a top museum to visit during Black History Month. What can you share about that?
3: Isn't that something? We're excited about that. If you were to come to the museums right now, it you would see all these children from all, from all over the state of Mississippi that are here visiting and learning about history at the two Mississippi museums. So for us to be named in the top 10, that says a lot, not only about the two Mississippi museums, but this place that we live, Mississippi.
2: Yeah, it, uh, so how has uh, the traffic been? I've, I've been through the museum uh, on numerous occasions. It's it's always a treat. It's so professionally done and really does tell an important story about the history of our our state. And its involvement in the civil rights movement in particular, I know folks come from all over the world to visit this museum. Oh, yeah. And and I think they're always blown away when they find it uh, in the heart of Jackson, Mississippi, in our capital city, in our state. And they're, of course, incredibly impressed. You can't help but be after you tour uh, the facility. So... Is there anything special about Black History Month that draws more visitors?
3: Well, you know, I think that what happens is is that everybody, you know, there's a lot that we need to learn about each other's cultures. And so this is a time that people say, hey, let's go in and learn learn some information. The civil rights movement in the state of Mississippi, we were ground zero. So people want to understand it. They want to understand the emotions that happened during that time. So they come here. They come here, and to see the children with their little clipboards and information that we have for them to go around and learn about the museum is just awesome. And then to have Mr. Hezekiah Watkins, who was 13 years old when he was stressed into the, uh, the movement as a freedom rider and put in parchment Penitentiary, that saves a lot, and people want to meet him. They want to ask him, how did he feel? They just want to talk to people who were part of that time frame. And we try to bring people in, some of the veterans in that were a part of that, and then they can talk to them about that time also.
2: When folks tour the museum, uh, Pamela, do you ever talk to them or does any of the staff talk to them about any of the specific exhibits that uh, really caught their attention yeah. and, and stoked emotions?
3: Yeah, yeah. I I usually go in a lot of times just to, and and of course, people from out of town don't don't know who I am, but I just like to walk in here. And I'll just get into conversations, and they are always, what gets them are those lynching monoliths? That's in Gallery 2, and it's after, of course, the Emancipation and Reconstruction, and we go into Jim Crow. And for people to see those monoliths with all those names on, and there's 600 names on those monoliths of people that have been lynched in the state of Mississippi, and those are documented lynchings. And I think for a lot of people, they just can't, they, they, they can't really figure that out. And to for them to look at it, and they're inquisitive and just trying to understand how did this happen. You get a lot of that. You get a lot of that. You get a lot of emotions in gallery, too. Once they go in Gallery 3, it's a time for them to reflect on what they saw. Just kind of gather themselves. But, yeah, the conversations come to, to all of us. And a lot of times they come to Mr. Hezekiah Watkins and to ask them, how could a 13-year-old boy go through that?
2: Yeah, that's, inc- yeah. that's incredible. Uh, also on display in the museum are some artifacts uh, from the integration event at, uh, at Ole Miss, at the University of Mississippi. Tell us about that.
3: Well, you know, yeah, you can see the Lyceum, the columns, and then you can go in and really learn about James Meredith's experience. He comes through a lot. He was here just this past Sunday, and he likes to come into hmm. this museum because it's like coming home for him. He's able to see people that he knew and just able to talk to people, to citizens, of, visitors that come in, just about what he went through so for us these museums they tell a lot of stories but to have some of those actual people walking in it's just it's a it's a, it's a home place it's a place where people want to understand and they get that when they come to the two mississippi museums not only do they get the history of the civil rights museum but they get 15,000 years of the state and 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 all the inhabitants that were a part of creating Mississippi.
2: Yeah, you know something that I've always promoted in my travels, uh, Pamela, from a business perspective, is that we hear a lot of uh, a lot of discussion these days, a lot of, of efforts focus on diversity and inclusion. I honestly believe that that uh, we have more uh, of that in our state arguably than any other state, and I think that to a great extent can be attributed just to the composition of our, our population and the rel- relatively small delta uh, between the races in, in, the co- in our population. We, we pretty much had to learn to live together, or we likely would, would not have had a, a good outcome. We overcame, I think, a lot of the strife and a lot of the challenges. Your thoughts about that?
3: Well, you know, there's still a lot of challenges. Of course, I think that you know the biggest thing is that it is so important for us to learn about each other. You mm-hmm. know, it saves the United States of America. And I think that if we if, that we become more united by learning about each other's cultures, I'll never forget someone said to me that I don't see color. And I told her that I was sorry for her that she didn't see color. I wanted her to see me because if she sees me, then she's inquisitive about who I am and I her. And so we were able to sit down and have a three-hour conversation, not only about how we are alike, but our differences. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Yes, we we have learned to live with each other, but there's so much more in depth that we can learn about each other. And that makes us such an amazing place. Of such amazing people that have these diverse backgrounds that is so interesting that I'm always open and ready to learn, so yeah we we do have some work to do, but yes, Mississippi, we are community people, and we are people that can stand in the same place and and learn about each other.
2: What about my good friend Reuben Anderson, Judge Reuben Anderson? you see him around?
3: We do you know the last time I saw him was when they were doing a a retirement mm-hmm. celebration from the law firms that he and and of course Judge Fred banks worked at right and It's just always good to see him because what he does is he shows us what Mississippi looks like. Mm-hmm. That's what and he's a very proud man, proud to be from the state, and it's just wonderful when he walks into this building and he sees the accomplishments that he's made, not only with the flag, but going him and and and, and our former governor, who's passed on William Winter, who went to Haley Barber and said, "Let's put these museums in the same in the same on the same in the same location." So we we thank him. He's it's just an honor to always be in his presence.
2: Yeah, he was somewhat instrumental in uh, the museum coming to fruition, was he not?
3: Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. And again the story of him going in to Haley Barber and saying, you know, people were looking for places to put the Civil Rights Museum. Mm And they came together and said, let's give them a shared lobby and put them on the same property. Yeah, And and that's wonderful, because now the stories are here, and people can come in and get them, and and the stories will be here from generations and generations to come.
2: Right. So, it was the USA Today, uh, is that correct, Pamela, that named the Civil Rights Museum as one of the top to visit this month,
3: yes, you know there are some museums that they named before us, but that's okay. We're in the top ten, and that's yeah. good for us that's good, that's good and if again, if you were on location here today and to see these children and how enthusiastic they've been all week and and even the first of March and I mean of February, and we will be doing this continuously throughout the year,
2: yeah, and uh before we go here, tell us the uh, the hours when one can visit the museums.
3: We'll open Tuesday through Saturday, 9 to 5, and on Sundays, 11 to 5. We also have uh, Nick Wallace, the, top, one of our, the one of the biggest chefs in the state of Mississippi, mm-hmm. and he has a restaurant here. So you're able to eat, you're able to look around, come in, look at the museum, go eat at noon, and come back and finish both of the museums. I understand. It's a wonderful place for people to bring their family and just learn a lot about the state of Mississippi and, of course, civil rights.
2: Appreciate you coming on, Pamela, and congratulations on uh, being named as one of the top museums to uh, visit this month by the USA Today. Appreciate it. Thanks.
3: Thank you, and you have a great day.
2: You too. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Middays will
0: continue. For Gerard Gibbons. Welcome, welcome to our shop On Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a
4: good
0: one.
2: We are back in the Element Well Studios. It's midday, so Nikki Haley, what she called for is what she calls uh, competency tests for politicians over 75. Competency tests. In the America I see, the permanent politician will finally retire, said candidate Nikki Haley as she calls, for term limits. That'll float a lot of folks' boats there, I think. I know a lot of folks in this country fully support that. I've always been kind of on the fence, and I've explained why on that. I don't know why we need that. Why don't we just vote people out if we want them to be term limited? What's up with that? My concern always is they engaged in scorched earth. Politics on their way out. We're seeing that already in the $1.7 trillion omnibus bill signed into law by the 100% totally fit, <laughs> vigorous 80 year old Joe Biden. Eighteen Republicans joined in with Senate Democrats to get that bill across the finish line, and four of them are retiring. And you know what they got on their way out? A whole bunch of earmarked money. That's what happens. I don't care about running up the debt and the deficit. I'm going to bring home the bacon. Go down with my name on a building somewhere. Yeah, that's what serving in the U.S. Senate's all about.
1: It is kind of funny, though, if you work for the government and you do it long enough and misuse enough tax dollars you get your name on a building that's true <laughs> meanwhile in the private sector you got to make a killing and give it away that's a good point to get your name on a building
2: good point yeah and if you don't follow the line that they want you to follow you get your name taken off right even if you paid for it
1: it's great i have seen i forget which college it was but they removed a the name because they disagreed with his stance on something and
2: Now his heirs are like, well, fine, give the money back. I saw that. I saw that. The whole family said, yeah, give us the money back. Exactly right. Don Lamont, (laughs) he kind of put the old foot in the mouth. I I tell you, look, I'll use (laughs) Joe Biden's (laughs) style. Look, look, no joke. Don Lemon is among those that I would categorize as intolerant liberals who would ascribe to themselves tolerant.
1: That's what I call the self-appointed moral superiority.
2: That's <laughs> exactly what it is. So they're tolerant as long as you agree with them. If you don't agree with them, then all bets are off. They become suddenly, abruptly intolerant. In this case, he makes an utterly sexist comment. I guess you could call it an ageist comment to some extent by saying that Nikki Haley, at the age of 51, is, quote, not in her prime. So, co-host Poppy Harlow over there at CNN walked off the set. I also saw, from a ratings perspective, they got like 300,000 people in the country tuned into this crap. 300,000! Well, I mean, there's a reason they
1: moved him from prime time to mornings, and it seems like there's going to be another reason for him to see the door.
2: Unbelievable.
1: So <laughs> nobody wants
2: to watch an insufferable blowhard. <laughs> oh, so the this morning's broadcast cranked up with a short clip showing Harlow, who's on location in Salt Lake City. She's covering the NBA All Star Weekend festivities, and was interviewing uh, Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal, and Kenny Smith. The camera (laughs) panned over to co-host Caitlin Collins, who was seated next to Audie Cornish, the former National Public Radio journalist, who was sitting in for (laughs) the missing 56-year-old Don Lamont. Don has the day off, (laughs) Collins said this morning. (laughs) Just left out the little detail that his absence is, I'm pretty sure, due to his uh, misogynist, I'm going to call it maybe ageist comment. But
1: he apologized.
2: Oh, yeah, he did. Except he (laughs) forgot
1: the part of the apology where he actually apologized to the person whom he was talking about.
2: Exactly. (laughs) Quote,
1: the reference I made to a woman's this morning was inartful and irrelevant as (laughs) colleagues and loved ones have pointed out and I regret it a woman's age doesn't define her either professionally or personally I have countless women in my life who prove that every day
2: nothing specific to the target of his comments presidential candidate Nikki Haley (laughs) he failed to even mention her unbelievable
1: I believe that's, by definition, a half-hearted apology.
2: I think you're right. Uh, at a minimum, weak, tepid. I would call that inartful, honestly, to use Don's term there. On the C-Spire text line, Tim and McGee says, I'm on that every six-month checkup, Gerard. Yeah, I think it just depends on the physician, but uh, often... Uh, depending on, again, just the physician style, I'm grateful for mine. He's a longtime primary physician and uh, just a great friend and a great doctor as well. I'm just on the every six-month plan. That's fine. Biden, don't you think he ought to be on the every six-month plan? He's 80, and he exhibits what appears to be mental acuity problems. I think most would agree with that. Uh, but nonetheless, his doctor says he's good to go. And there we are. Hmm. Very interesting. I was born on 321 68 in Columbus, and it snowed six to eight inches from. What I was told, maybe the date you're referring to, I enjoy the program. Y'all take care of Mark. I, that sounds about right, Mark. I, I appreciate that. I, it's 321 does stick in my mind. I do seem to recall that I was in the fifth grade, and I said I was about 10, 12 years old. That'd be right. That makes sense. I bet that's it. It, it was a foot, it seemed like, here in central Mississippi. It was a lot. Of course, not being too tall at the age of 10, it seemed like it covered a good bit of my body when I stepped in it.
1: Happy early birthday, by the way, Mark.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And happy late birthday to another listener that chimed in uh, yesterday really late that we didn't get a chance to
2: Oh, apologize for that. To say, but uh,
1: yeah, up in Hardeman, Tennessee,
2: happy birthday. <laughs> and that, by the way, is to John. That's my son's birthday, March 21, coming up. A Republican woman is past her prime at 51. A Democrat woman is good to go in her 70s. Hillary, Nancy, etc., says Robert and Brandon. Au contraire, Robert. How about 80s? Dianne Feinstein. She's even telling people, hey, I'm fine. <laughs> you see that the other Although day? she
1: is not seeking re-election.
2: That's right. She's stepping down at 89. At 89? I think that's I didn't the, think she was that old. Yeah, I swear. I think she's 89. Look it up. 89 is wow, what Wow, she is. I told you. 89 years old. How long has I she been swore there? I swear it was 87. How long has she been there? 120, 140 years, something like that? Oh, 87. <laughs> I got you. Just a spry 87. I gave her 89.
1: She has been a United States senator from California since 1992.
2: Good grief. 1992. So, a third of her life. But there's uh, there are others that have been there uh for a much greater percentage of their life. How long's Grassley been there? The great state of Iowa he represents and talks just like Mr. Drucker.
1: He's been there since 1981. Good grief! He is now currently the sixth longest-serving senator at forty-two years, one month, and seven days.
2: And what's his age? Eighty-three, eighty-four,
1: something to that
2: effect. That comes him. around there. Yeah, he's been there half his life. Half his life in the U.S. Senate. That's hard to comprehend. Truly is. We had a record snowfall in Memphis on that date, 1968, of 20 inches, says Darren in Jackson. That's got to be it. That's got to be it. But as I recall, uh, Darren, and uh, who else had just said that something to us about it in Columbus, so I scrolled off here, Uh, there was no prediction of it. That's what I remember the most. Like, we thought we were going to school the next day. We woke up, we looked outside, what the heck? There's a foot of snow on the ground. We're coming right back here in the Element Well studios. Kelly Bennett at 11.05 and Executive Director of MDOT, Brad White, at 12.05. Stay with us.
0: Properly set all controls before recording. All systems go. talk. That keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Element Wealth Studios, we thank you so much for joining us. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees, and now more than ever, because the market is uh, volatile, to say the least, yesterday's producer price index, the measurement of input cost To the production process, surprised investors came in hotter than expected, meaning uh, we're probably set for more inflation, and certainly sticky inflation, and the Fed is likely to continue tightening on interest rates, raising rates is in the offing, I believe. I think we're going to see a terminal rate, meaning they'll go to uh, a level that would be the highest level, and they'd stop, pause. I think we're looking at 5.75, 5.75 as a terminal rate. Then I think they'll pause, see what happens. But what investors are concerned about right now is that the next rate hike coming next month is likely to be half a point as to the expected quarter point, that that was pretty much the consensus, two quarter point increases this year, early on this year, and then a pause, but I think we're looking at, given the recent news on the producer price uh, index, CPI earlier this week, jobs report, all of those factors will influence the Fed to keep the gas on the interest rate the Fed funds rate, and we're looking at half a point. I think then we stop at 5.75 or so. That will pause us through the end of the year. And then in next year, again, monetary policy will be influenced by elections, and we'll see the Fed pivot, and bliss will break out, and incumbents will boast about it. Kicking the can down the road so as to get back in that Congress or that White House. That's more important than anything in their lives. The heck with making the right decisions for the economy. Nothing to promote supply. Zero. Higher taxes. That's what we need. So we can create more programs. Unbelievable. Joe from Sumrall says, one of the reasons we do not vote out a longtime politician is because when they run again, we say, well, I ain't dead yet. That's a pretty low standard there, Joe. I guess I'll vote for him again. Hmm. Darren and Jackson says, we had a record snowfall in Memphis on that date. 20 inches. Wow been from madison 42 years is an awfully long time to hold that type of power agree and i don't think i don't know if it's the the power as much as it is the spoils there are a lot of spoils associated with being a senior u.s. senator or any u.s. senator or member of congress but especially on the senate side where you see folks serving for such a long time it's the spoils It's a lot more exclusive club than the House. No doubt. And I really do believe it's the ability to just call anywhere almost on the planet and get some sort of special treatment. Because you're a U.S. senator. Thinking, oh, yeah, if I just help them out here, then when I need something, they'll help me out. And that one vote in that House means a lot. Carries a lot of weight. Bob Neblet and Woody Asap didn't have a whole lot of technology back then for sure, says Tom and Carthage, they being the old weather personalities of the local uh, television affiliates through the through the early days up until when they retired. I agree with you on that, Tom. Now somebody on here is, uh, yeah, Zach and Starkville. He says Joe Biden is the best president we've ever had. Y'all need to stop talking about him and worry about y'all's governor who stole money with Brett Favre. Really? Joe Biden, the the best president we ever had? With respect to our governor, can you provide some empirical evidence that Governor Tate Reeves, quote, stole money? That's a pretty serious allegation. Can you... Share with us some details. How much? When? From I don't, I don't think you'll
1: get it, because if you scroll up, you'll see this is the same person that threatened to rip out their own radio because they heard sports news they didn't like. Okay.
2: That sounds like... Uh, elevator doesn't go all the way up there. Sounds like an anger management problem if you're going to rip your radio out because you don't like something you hear on sports show.
1: There's there's two knobs. Turn either one of them. You ain't got to worry about it anymore.
2: <laughs> we got uh, Kelly Bennett. From Super Talk Mississippi News after Fox News and Super Talk News at this break.
0: Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. Hello, hello, hello. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays Live from the Element Wealth Studios on this. Friday, y'all. <laughs> it is indeed. And joining us now, Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist, Super Talk, Mississippi News. Kelly, this is going to become a regular thing every Friday, isn't it?
4: Sounds like it. Do we actually have everything working for a change? <laughs> I think so.
2: We got all the technology all integrated and compatible and communicating as it is supposed to. Appreciate you joining us today. What have you observed from across the great state of Mississippi the past week? Been a little quiet in the legislature. No big deadlines this week as we had last week. So the each uh, respective chamber is taking up the bills passed over from the others. What are you hearing? Anything? Right.
4: Right. I think the big one's going to be the health crisis, the hospital situation. And we know this isn't just a statewide issue. It's a nationwide issue. They're talking about legislation that would provide an $80 million lifeline to financially struggling hospitals. Medicaid expansion off the table. That's even though Tim Moore with the Mississippi Hospital Association says it would certainly help out. I think we're all learning, Gerard. I mean, if you're paying any attention to what's going on with the many interviews we have on the Supertalk Network, that there's a big problem with third parties, BMs, the insurance companies that basically make it their business not to pay. And then the hospitals don't get paid as as a result. So it's big. yeah, And that... The House Insurance Committee has been tasked with finding the root cause of rising drug prices and state health insurance premiums. Representative Hank Zuber was on with us earlier this week. He chairs that committee. And he's authored a bill, House Bill 1299, that would require specific charges for pharmaceuticals, drug prices, become public, and this would make it transparent so we can actually see who's paying what, what the rebates are, I was surprised to find the PPMs are already a third party involved. They're paying another party just to handle the rebites, rebates that they get on drugs.
2: Yeah. It's complicated uh, for sure. And Whew. if, if uh, you've ever tried to dig into those details and, and uh, examine any of the many published flow charts that show how the, how the money shifts around, Uh, between all the parties, Mm -hmm. including the PBMs, the insurers, the third parties that help them with the rebates, the pharmaceutical makers, the the pharmacists, the patients, the providers, the hospitals. It's just amazing how convoluted that ecosystem is. You wonder if it's not intentional. They sort of keep it complicated so we can't figure out what's going on.
4: Well, and I think the average consumer gets frustrated by the whole thing, trying to figure it out, and they just quit looking into it and that's they all right. just pay the dang bill. That's right. You know, is it purposeful? Maybe. But that you've got to need history on that, because that's how you kind of got into the whole news thing, it I have heard you say. It, well,
2: in politics in general, exactly right. It was 2008 when uh, then-candidate Barack Obama was promoting his plans for health care reform as a, as a candidate, and, and I happened to just pay attention one day uh, to him speaking at, a, at just like a town hall sort of event on the campaign trail, and, and, and I picked up on something he called shared responsibility was the terminology, the phrase that was associated with an employer's responsibility for the Insurance coverage for their employees, and when I heard that, it it um, sounded like it was going to cost a bunch of money, and I started calling around, and nobody could give me any details. And honestly, I, I got a little frustrated. Not because they they didn't have any knowledge of it, because I I needed information, and it wasn't available to try to make business decisions. Right. And that's how I got honestly interested in politics, and I guess the rest is history from there. <laughs> It's complicated. Let's go to some
4: good news. Okay. Sure. Please. There's a groundbreaking date that's been set for the largest economic development project in state history. This is that $2.5 billion aluminum mill that will be located near the Golden Triangle Airport. And uh, this is going to create over 1,000 jobs, an average salary of ninety three grand. That's much above the actual average. So very nice. Happy yeah. For people in that area might be able to take advantage and from what i understand you don't have to have a college degree to get these jobs
2: right right which is good good news i think it's a good project for the state what about the uh, governor's announcement yesterday that we're going to get 1.3 billion dollars in uh in funding of infrastructure we've got uh, executive director of mdot brad white on the program in an hour what do you think about that
4: I think it's a great idea. I think we all are aware at this point how outdated and dilapidated our infrastructure is. We've got bridges that need repair. All you have to do is drive on a road in Mississippi in some areas to see that, that we really need to work on this. And infrastructure includes water, right? Right. And I know we hear a lot about the water infrastructure in the city of Jackson, but it needs updating all over the state. So I think this is fantastic news. I, like you, I'm looking forward to hearing more about what Brad White has to say about this. Any thoughts? Uh, Please. Oh, I was I was going to bring up, it was Valentine's Day this week, yeah. right? Uh, something original in Mississippi. Apparently nationwide, uh, marriages are down. Yeah. That's not happening in Mississippi we're actually increasing marriages by nearly seven percent year over year and divorces are down in our state as well huh good news for a week of love right with <laughs> <Valentine's
2: Day. laughs> oh absolutely now that the field has been set for the statewide elections and we are in the statewide election year comes around every four years yeah. in an odd numbered year. What do you think any any thoughts uh, on, let's say the top of the ticket governor lieutenant governor any any thoughts about that
4: uh I kind of keep my vote kind of personal sure here.
2: well just I mean about the races <laughs> in general what uh, just uh, you're you know not asking for you to to offer your your preference on candidate personally <laughs> just about the races in general
4: I think uh, they're panning out about as we would expect they're- Challenges to some of the people that are running for office, like Mandy Sacred uh, Her challenge was cleared yesterday through the state GOP. Yeah. So we've st- we've still got a ways to go before the elections, Gerard. So it's heating up, though, Kelly. We're we're seeing that the arena.
2: we're we're seeing the uh, the mudslinging already. Certainly in the lieutenant governor's race, maybe to a lesser extent. Is that new? Not really, but um I think what we could say is that the Lieutenant Governor delbert Hoseman really didn't face any any significant challenge in his primary uh, for lieutenant Governor you know and he had a fairly tepid challenge uh, in the general election. that was kind of a foregone conclusion, but this cycle. He does have, I believe, a serious challenge in in state senator Chris McDaniel. So I, I think, and likely whoever wins the uh, the Republican uh, clears the field in the Republican primary is going to go on and win in the general. So the the right. race for lieutenant governor, I think, is going to be decided in the in the primary for governor in the general, but for lieutenant governor in the primary, it uh, it's going to be I think closer than many people believe.
4: Well, I remember McDaniel as a Tea Party candidate. I mean, he's been around for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he was one of the people that was in the forefront of that movement. And I'm sure a lot of people remember his history there.
2: 14, 2014, he he challenged uh, then uh, longtime Senator Thad Cochran, very contentious race, Mm -hmm. really divided the state, fractured the state quite a bit, I think. But it was incredibly close, as, as you recall. And so, uh, and he had a couple other runs, but he's emerged, and he has declared his candidacy. He's qualified, and so I think uh, we have a race on our hands, at a minimum, we can say, which will give us much to talk about. He's tentatively scheduled to appear on the program, is uh, Senator McDaniel, next Tuesday. Next Tuesday is is the tentative scheduling of uh, his appearance. Of course, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman was on with uh, Paul Gallo, as you know, yesterday, so I
4: think we yeah, uh, he had a lot to say.
2: He sure did, and we'll have we'll have much to analyze and discuss in our line of work here with uh, these races <laughs> setting setting up the way they are.
4: And just a heads up to our listeners: if you want to listen back to these interviews later on in full, just log on to supertalk.fm.
2: Appreciate that, Kelly. Always good to see you, and and thank you for joining us today. Have a great weekend and week and we'll talk to you again at the same time next week. Appreciate it, Kelly. Thanks. Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist with Super Top Mississippi News, has been our guest on Middays. We are taking a break with Def Leppard bump on the side of this segment. Coming right back.
0: The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. we rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi. <laughs>
2: With you in the Element Well Studios, we thank you so much for listening today. Uh, Joe from Sumrall <laughs> he offers an analysis of our texter that was jumping on us about our. Um, it felt like we we're picking on Joe Biden too much and not calling attention to. Governor Tate Reeves, who that particular member of our audience maintains, quote, stole money. Stole money. Joe says, I'm going to quit listening if y'all don't read all my text on the radio. But if y'all read all my text on the radio, I'm going to quit listening. (laughs) That's pretty much what happens there, Joe. That's a a very accurate analysis that we've seen. The funniest thing
1: to me is... It's about a coin flip, but about 50% of the time, naysayers also find some way to work it into their argument that they could do a better job that we do, or they want their foot in the door. They, they really think they'd be
2: good behind the microphone. I think there's a lot of truth to that, and you, you know it's, uh, more so than I do, because you've been doing this longer. A whole lot of people do raise their hand to do this. Right? Mm-hmm. A lot. Not very many last very long. Right. Many don't get the chance, for obvious reasons. This It's this, this not a knock on anybody whatsoever. Uh, I've, I've certainly learned to appreciate the difficulty of this, no doubt about it. Uh, and people that have done this successfully and effectively for an extended period of time, they're, they're special. They, they've, they've cracked the code, no doubt about it. My hat's off to them. My hat's off to them. Uh, also, John Fetterman. You know him. He's the senator. He's had a rough couple weeks. From Pennsylvania, he has. He the one, of course, who liked to dress in a different hoodie, hoodie of the day. He thought that was the appropriate attire for a United States senator. And now he's checked himself into the hospital for depression.
1: Which is his second trip to the hospital in as many weeks. Just had another
2: episode stroke or something, right, or a heart problem? He was feeling uh, chest pains. Chest
1: pains. That's and what it into right. Walter Anderson.
2: Of course, he, of course, uh, the victim of a stroke which clearly had an impact, as strokes often do, on his cognitive abilities and struggled mightily on the campaign, still got elected. Now, I know there are a lot of folks that say, well, it's because he cheated. Um, not to that extent, though. I mean, if you look at the votes cast, it would have had to have been like 80% of the votes were cheating votes, invalid
1: it's okay to admit that dr oz was not a likable candidate
2: thus did not win i, I really and he didn't
1: do himself any favors by doing that stupid video at the grocery store looking for crudité. oh that was terrible that's a real good way to engender the blue collar vote <laughs>
5: that was
2: ter- and he didn't think anything of it so no.
1: serious because that's how out of touch he is scary Just like the vast majority of politicians on both sides of the aisle but that's a different story for a different day (laughs) that's right
2: well he's in the hospital suffering from depression
1: yeah the statement said that he's dealt with depression on and off his entire life but he's checked himself in to get some help
2: well why did that not make it into the public square during his campaign his being treated for depression i honestly i would have more concerns about that then the loss of memory from his stroke. got at least a chance of recovering there. But you're suffering from depression. That pretty much takes you to your death. I mean, you you can get treated for it. And sometimes if it's caused by chemical imbalances in your brain, there's medicine that can treat that. There's therapy. But that would be a more serious concern to me. Because this is what happens. All of a sudden, he's got to go to the hospital, dealing with it. And you don't feel like they can be effective serving in the U.S. Senate when they suffer from this particular ailment. So now he's in the hospital because, and he checked himself in. Right? He like checked in himself. Nobody carted him off and said, "You look depressed. We need to go to the hospital." That's wh- that's where we are. We've talked a lot on the program about Social Security. And Medicare, and I believe our discussion is warranted because both of those programs are in deep financial trouble. There's no secret there. They don't get the attention they need. And the Democrats are capitalizing on talk from certain Republicans who have been brave enough at least to say, hey, this thing needs some help. we got to address this. We cannot let it continue, status quo. And Joe Biden and Democrats immediately say, they want a sunset Social Security and Medicare. We're not going to touch it. Which, essentially, sunset Social Security and Medicare. Inaction means inevitable crash of the systems. New data, literally overnight, from the Medicare trust fund says Medicare uh, spending is expected to more than double in the next ten years. It sits now at about eight hundred billion a year. Eight hundred billion is what we spend on Medicare. What many probably aren't aware of is that forty percent, forty percent of the program's expenses are not covered by payments into Medicare by current workers from your paycheck, the deduction, plus the amounts in the trust fund, which is just an accumulation of of surpluses produced by the program. No, in fact, 40% comes from income taxes. And that really means we're just borrowing money to pay for it. We are literally borrowing money to pay for medicare 40% is where it stands right now looked it up the other day so this report says we're going to hit 1.6 trillion of medicare spending that's 4% of the entire us economy 4% of our economy wrapped up in medicare by 2023 So here's our problem. This is the reality check. Republicans say no tax increases, and they've gotten a lot of mileage. People have gotten a lot of mileage out of attacking Republicans on that position. Democrats, on the other hand, say no benefit cuts, and they've gotten a lot of mileage out of that. So there we go. Republicans say, can't increase revenues. Democrats say, can't decrease benefits. Therefore, we can't fix the problem. Because we've explained three choices. Increase revenue, decrease expenses, combination of the two. (laughs) What we have here is what uh, they call an old-fashioned impasse. Nothing is being discussed at this point to fix this problem. And I don't think people realize how big a dang deal this is, especially those of you out there on Medicare that rely on it, rely on the insurance to pay for your health care needs. A whole bunch of people in this country, 72 million to be exact, 72 million. Our population is aging, we're living longer, that's all a good thing, to the point where now you'll be on Medicare longer than you you were while working on private insurance. Well, those numbers don't work. It's just simple math. Tom and Carthage says, if you're not pissing off half of your audience every day, you're not doing a good job anyhow. That may be the case. We may be making more than half of a mad rhino. I, I don't know. Well, let's see. Ta- Please, no more flag stuff. Tate and Delbert did both lie about not speaking out to take our state flag away from the citizens without at least putting it on the ballot again. They told me this personally before they were elected to the office that they both hold the day. Well, then, I would simply suggest that you consider that in casting your vote. If that's your issue and that's your only number one issue, me personally, I don't see how that makes me safer, healthier, wealthier, more free. The Magic Sky Cloth ain't putting any more dollars in your pocket. All right, exactly. And that's where I think the focus ought to be. If you feel like that they broke a promise there, I, I respect that factoring into your vote. I personally disagree with it, but that's just me. And I also believe if it went to a ballot today, I don't think the citizens of Mississippi would vote to retain the old flag. I think the majority would say, no, we need to change it. That's just my opinion. You may have a different take on that, and that's perfectly fine as well. We're just sharing opinions. Coming right back. Stay with us.
0: Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbons. on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: The Element Well Studios, Super Talk, Mississippi. Curtis and McCool says, I recently heard the theme song from All in the Family for the first time in a long time. I think that needs to be the theme song for Super Talk. It's crazy, but Curtis, I actually thought about that a couple of days ago. I, I don't know why it uh, popped into my brain. I remember the show when I was in. I guess the grade school, middle school, in in thinking about the lyrics, you know, of the theme song, and how that is sort of applicable. And and I think what prompted me to think about it was mainly some of the cultural craziness that's going on. I'll give you an example. I read a report this morning about a um, New Hampshire school district Milford, New Hampshire. So, the school board and the state, I believe it's an assembly in New Hampshire, is what it's referred to. They're all tied up in knots and having all these discussions and trying to make policy and law pertaining to the bathrooms in the school district, the middle school and the high school. And so, they have at this point (laughs) ordered that the urinals be covered with black plastic garbage bags so they can't be used. And the purpose, I had to think through it, like, wait, now, why is this a problem? And it's because there are biological females using the male restroom because they either identify as males or they've been converted it transformed if that's even possible but that's the way they describe it they've had the transition surgery they're on hormones or they just think they're they just think they're males but their actual sex as opposed to gender their sex biologically is female, but their gender is male. So they walk in the boys' bathroom, and guess what you see? Boys standing at the urinals, relieving themselves, which requires the exposure of their male anatomy. And so they've closed off the urinals to force every kid in the school to use the individual private stalls. And the
1: bathrooms still have sinks? Uh, yeah. They'd be some stinky sinks. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm and just saying. And they're also doing this in the locker rooms, the athletic locker rooms, where apparently they're mixing it up. I don't know how else to explain it. And so now all the dressing in the locker rooms has to be done in some sort of private area, shielded area. And this is causing all kind of problems. So the students. <laughs> this is crazy. I'm looking at the photo. This was in the Boston Globe. I told you guys, by far, the most left-leaning publication in this country. And, of course, Boston being the largest city in the New England area, they report a lot. I guess if you think about it, Rhino, you combine New England from a, from a uh, geographic area perspective, the state of Mississippi may be as big as Massachusetts, New Hampshire, uh, Vermont, maybe even Connecticut, stuck in there. Maine, yeah, as far as land size, land size. So Boston's kind of the regional center hub of the area. There's nothing in Maine. It's it's relatively big, but from a population perspective, I mean,
1: you still got New York City there, but yeah.
2: But you don't normally associate that with New England the way you do Massachusetts. Right. So, they, anyhow, they report a lot on things that go on in Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine. So, I'm looking at this photo, <laughs> and it's students that are outside of the building where the school board is meeting discussing this dilemma, and they're holding up signs. <laughs> they're holding up signs that say, We want urinals. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is nuts. Who would have thought you had to go to school? (laughs) What do I mean? I can't use the urinal, and now you're a protester. Bring back our urinals. That's how nutty this country's going. So to Curtis's point here, that's what made me think about Archie Bunker and Edith there playing the theme song when, uh, of course, (laughs) Archie says,
5: there we don't go. There we So the hit,
3: parade.
5: Guys like us, we had it made. Was
2: <laughs> Mister, we could use a man like Hoybert Hoover again, right? So our resources, at least in this area of New Hampshire, they're all tied up talking about urinals no wonder (laughs) we're we're going down the tanks literally when you think about that unbelievable cj in the delta says what we have here is a failure to communicate that's so true what's your dirt doing in my hole (laughs) that's right that's right (laughs) Uh, Lord saying Biden is the best president ever is like saying the Ford Pinto is the best car ever. But this is another example of just how insane liberals are. CC in Senatobia writes that. I'd like to know w- what their their standards are. What What measurements did they use to conclude that Joe Biden's the best president ever? What would that be? I'd have to think about that. In
1: fairness, when someone makes a statement that is that off the wall, that asinine, I tend to believe they're being intentionally stupid <laughs> intentionally <laughs> to try to get a reaction because they just want attention. Whether it be positive or negative, they're just starved for attention.
2: That's the old rhino dopamine theory. I think he's right on that one, guys. Mike from Madison says it's impressive for y'all to be able to come up with topics to talk about for three hours straight. We appreciate that, Mike. I, I guess the the uh, the good news is there's just plenty of stuff to talk about. As Rhino knows, not me. I thank y'all. Y'all are the best. Pretty appreciate that. Appreciate all the the positive feedback. It means a lot to us. We we sincerely hope you enjoy the program, and I, I, we certainly enjoy bringing it to you every day. And Look, it's folks are not gonna be happy no matter what. That's fine. Doesn't bother me. One, I owe I know it certainly doesn't uh, bother rhino. And guess what? It ain't gonna change us either.
1: <laughs> oh gosh. There was a point in time when I when I first started doing this where I would take things personally and I would let it eat me up and I'd spend an entire weekend thinking about oh I should have said this or I should have said that. Nowadays, especially it's Friday, we got the weekend here. When I'm done, I'm checked out. It's a good 24, 48 hours before I even give a rat's rear end about politics again.
2: <laughs> well, I certainly agree that uh, for a while, and, and sometimes even now, I, I walk away uh, less than pleased with my performance on the show. And it'll it'll bug me, and I'll think about how can I fix that and make sure that doesn't happen again. Um, but as time has gone on, I've realized can't dwell on it you just got to move forward because if you dwell on it you're, it's likely to cause you to not perform as well the next time i think oh, you yeah. know that if you harbor it like anything it's I think, like being I'm a goalie
1: like, in a soccer match you let one through all right you let it through you got to get on with it you got to get on with it yeah you got to stop the next
2: one absolutely right uh, i will say uh that over the weekend i still consume stuff because so much dang happens uh, but I, I do try to walk away from it. Definitely. I mean, I get
1: caught up on Sunday. Yeah. I, I start getting caught up on Sunday morning, and I take a break. And then Sunday afternoon, I really dive into it and then take another break around supper time, And then before going to bed, I'll spend another hour, hour, half, two hours just really diving into what happened over the weekend. And then Monday, just like any other weekday, get up, spend a couple hours yep. diving into what the world's done while I was
2: asleep. No doubt. Me too. Dan in Hattiesburg says, sounds like more more like a failure to urinate. <laughs> well, not in the urinal, Dan, in New Hampshire, that's for sure. So there's photos of the urinals with black plastic garbage bags covering them up. This is just nuts. And how many people you think are being accommodated with this in these schools? A teeny tiny infinitesimal fraction.
1: I'm telling you, if that had happened at my high school, those had been some stinky
2: sinks. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Joe Meridian says, Gerard and Rhino, here's a shout-out for you guys. I greatly enjoy the program. You both are well-informed, well-spoken, and do a great job bringing topics and news that affect the citizens in our state. Don't be put off by the negative nelly naysayers. Keep up the great work. Completely and totally... Uh, am honored with your comments, as Rhino is as well. I could think I can speak for him, uh, Joe. Really appreciate that. Uh, you know, we we like what we do, and we hope you enjoy it as we do. Everybody, we we acknowledge we ain't going about a thousand, and that's perfectly fine. We're going to keep on keeping on. We're coming right back. Stay with us.
0: It's so awesome. Middays with Gerard Gibbett. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Back everyone, midday super talk Mississippi. The markets are falling precipitously today. Major concerns. Kangaroo finally got tired. Oh, just sitting down right now, falling down, not pretty. The Nasdaq down one seventy eight at present. The Dow down less, but the Nasdaq, where most of the high tech growth stocks are listed, is what's causing problems for investors. Don't like to see all that red on the screen today, but there it is, and it's Joe Biden's awful policies, in my view, is what drove inflation. It uh, certainly wasn't all him. We've talked about that during the Trump era with COVID, lots of helicopter money sprayed across the nation, also fueled inflation. But I think Joe Biden's policies, well, I don't think I'm quite confident, exacerbated that situation. And once again, no policies that would promote supply, which is part of the demand-supply equation. They only focus on demand and not supply. And by demand, what they mean is send you more money so you can go spend it, which, of course, produces inflation. Joe doesn't get that. There's also some uh, word coming out of the Securities and Exchange Commission, which would thrust government in the middle of your investment accounts. SEC Chair Gary Gensler they're rolling out a set of experimental reforms is what they are being described as if that is finalized and uh, authorized by the agency it would really fundamentally change the way retail investor stock trades are handled there would be some government mandates dictating where these trades would need to be executed and at what price. This is just more government meddling, government invasion, government intrusion and overreach. I could go on and on about all the ways to describe how how abhorrent this is with respect to staying the hell out and letting the market work. They just can't stand it. They have to insert themselves because they possess such mighty hubris as to believe that they are more qualified, more competent at centrally managing a $21 trillion economy than is the market. That's the fundamental problem with all this stuff. Oh, no, I know better than you how to manage $21 trillion. You consumers, you buyers and sellers, you don't know. Get out of the way. We'll tell you how to do that. That, my friends, is the essence of socialism. That, is, that exhibits and represents the classic definition of socialism. And it's also logically
1: it's like trying to use your fingers in an abacus to compete with a supercomputer <laughs>
2: that's exactly right it's a great that's a great point because there's no secret that the government is always slow to react not built around agility does it really consider all the information all the inputs in taking action before taking action it's just not built around that not whatsoever. I, I caught you know. I told you guys, and I'm not trying to be an "I told you so" here. I apologize for that. Let me rephrase it. We've talked before on the program about the Trump tax cuts coming up. Well, exactly what I thought. The Washington Post published an opinion yesterday, and one of the columnists, Catherine Rampell. Here's a dirty little secret about Trump's tax cuts. That's the name of the article. And just goes into this diatribe about the cuts. So I wasn't aware until I read this article, Rhino. I don't know how I missed it, that this past week, more than 70 Republican lawmakers introduced a bill to make permanent. We've talked about that. the, The individual provisions are expiring in 25 Introduced a bill to make permanent the 2017 tax cuts, largely known as the Trump tax cuts, large chunks of which are scheduled to expire. This is what uh, Miss Rampell reports here. rampelle pardon me, reports here. So, folks are starting to pay attention. We were on it first, though, <laughs> and it's going to be a big old fight, I guarantee you. Of course, she's in favor of uh, letting them expire, of course, and then increasing them on the wealthy Americans. Coming back with Brad White from MDOT. Stay with us.
0: And now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Welcome back, everyone. Hour three of the program Super Talk Mississippi. Gerard and Rhino in the Element Well studios on this Friday, y'all. Brad White, the executive director of the Mississippi Department of Transportation, is in the house. Appreciate you coming on there, Mr. Executive Director.
5: Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure.
2: So – and I know it's a bit of short notice because we just found out about the governor's announcement yesterday, yesterday afternoon, of the uh, proposal, I think at this point. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, Yeah. to allocate $1.3 billion of state funds to various infrastructure projects across the state. You were just sharing with me before we came online, you you got multiple sources – of funding into DOTD. It's a it's separate from the general fund. Oh yes. You got you got multiple sources. Of course, fuel taxes a major source. Uh, the federal government, some state funding, other fees, and as well. Uh, where's this pot of money coming from that the governor seeks to allocate for infrastructure?
5: Well, it's my understanding that where he's wanting to take the the funds with which to implement his proposal would come from some of the surplus revenue that we have now or some of the leftover one-time money we have now in various accounts. So it's existing money, as I understand it, but I'm I'm unfamiliar with the details about exactly which one. But I do think it's important to understand the the type of projects that the governor is talking about. We've, We've been very fortunate in that all of our state's leaders have been very supportive of our infrastructure system. We had probably the biggest budget MDOT's ever had last year, thanks to the legislature and the governor's involvement in helping to plush that up. But back when we were struggling uh, to have money, one of the programs that that we implement as a department that uh, had been put on hold, more or less, had been our capacity program, which is not the resurfacing of highways or, or the regular work that you may see around the state. These are the major construction projects where a roadway has... Um, no longer adequately handling the volume of traffic on it in a safe or efficient way. An example would be the Greenville Bypass that's being constructed now or when Highway 49 was widened in Richland and Florence. And due to uh, our need to focus on the rehabilitation of the existing system, for about 10 years the capacity program had sat dormant for the most part. So when the Federal Highway Administration was reauthorized a couple of years ago and we received a billion dollars extra over a five-year period, uh, the Department of Transportation was able to restart that capacity program. Unfortunately, all those, all those projects that were in there were at different stages in the life of the project, and the pre-construction from planning to construction can take six to eight weeks because you have environmental, you have roadway design, the purchase of right-of-way. So what the governor was talking about, and I know what the lieutenant governor and the speaker have been interested in, is figuring out uh, why the state has a surplus of funds, what's the best way to move major construction projects forward for economic development purposes, safety purposes, as well as the overall health of the program. So we started out looking at what would be the, the first in line projects that in the life of that project that we've completed or are near completion of the Pre construction phase will have all the utilities removed and have a right of way certificate on the project and would be able, if the money was there, to award a contract and begin construction. So the governor uh, sat down with us and started looking at what would be done next year, what could be done the next, and ultimately he came up with a list out of our program that could be constructed over the next six years, and that's where he arrived at that that number that he had.
2: Okay, so I'm, I'm just looking at the report. I think the proposal calls for 49 different uh, independent infrastructure projects, and, and, the, and the governor explains some of those that are on that list as well, and it's across the
5: state. Right, it's 19 that pertain to MDOT. Okay. So was, his presentation also had a lot of Mississippi Development Authority ports and economic development, okay. site development, and other, other type of projects that would fall in infrastructure. Structure, yeah. But they don't pertain to us. Okay. So we ultimately, the list that he chose to go with had 19 projects uh, that deal with our interstates or our highways that if we had the funding, we could go ahead and, and uh, program the, for the construction of these and hopefully upon building them, get them out of the queue, which would allow everything else mm-hmm. that's still going through the pre-construction phases to be To a point that when those are built, we would have the general revenue stream to go ahead and build those and basically allow us to catch up from the time we lost. Makes sense.
2: I understand. So, and then of course, uh, Brad, always the the issue or the question, I should say, that uh, Mississippians have when they see these sorts of projects being planned when, you know, when do we get started? How long does this take? This is an involved process.
5: It is. Right now, I think we have about seven projects that if everything stays on schedule and we had the funding for the construction up front, that we could award those contracts next year and start those processes. Uh, Most of those projects, it would take, you know, multiple years to build them to completion. Right. Uh, But there's about seven or eight on the list of 19 that the governor presented that we could start next year. I think there's another six that could come the following year and then smaller as we go out. That's if everything stayed on track, you know, with the pre-construction phases. Uh, But the reason that that I think that that makes sense to do it that way is because the worst thing we could do is take money and devote it to trying to start new projects at the very beginning because we have so many that are still in the pre-construction phase. What we do not want to have – there's so many that we're trying to get ready for construction that as they become ready, we don't have the revenue stream to build any of them. Yeah. Because then they sit on a shelf, standards change, we end up having to reevaluate, redo an environmental document, and uh, it's just a waste of the taxpayers' money. Yeah. So I think the smart part about the approach uh, that the governor put out, whether they go with all of these projects or some of these projects, is to try to move the ones that are ready to go out of the queue so everybody else could move up. Okay. And uh, that's what I like most about this project, is I think it allows us to carry out our mission as a department, but it would allow us to do it in a way that kind of would help every project that we're trying to work on advance through our program.
2: Well, I think a resounding theme we hear from the three commissioners, of course, is we could do a lot more if we had more money. And I think that's absolutely true. Uh, Commissioner Willie Simmons in the Central District uh, issued a statement yesterday that I saw, and I I haven't seen uh, from the other two, and they may have as well, but uh, living in central Mississippi, I'm on the mailing list for that, and and he hailed. Uh, this decision by the gov- uh, governor is something that's desperately needed. And he also pointed out that, you know, by committing now and getting these projects let and awarded now, we're getting ahead of potential inflation oh, yeah, and, that's and, a and major us keeping costs problem.
5: Yeah. We had a, a one of these major projects that we were able to award this year. The original estimate was somewhere around 180 something million. And by the time we were able to award the contract, it was about 213. Unbelievable. Uh, and these are massive. These are not your normal projects. These are yeah. massive projects. But uh, inflation has been a, a real detractor in us because w- while we've been very fortunate, thanks to Congress and to the state legislature, to have more money than we've had before, that money doesn't go as far. But that still, uh, what I still think we need to do is rather bemoaning that fact as we still just – play with the cards we're dealt and just make sure that we're trying to use these funds in a way that gets the taxpayer the biggest bang for their their buck and yeah. I think that that would be by starting at the top of this list of shovel ready projects and starting one by one to try to move them out of the queue so everybody else can move up and to me that just makes sense
2: and the governor made a a point yesterday uh, I, I do believe he's a governor that is uh, fairly keenly focused on growing the state's economy and attracting uh, new economic investment into the state. He made the point yesterday that uh, the state's infrastructure is is critical in sure. attracting new industry into our state or expansion of existing industry, and he believes this will be a stimulative in that regard.
5: Well, Senator Trent Lott used to say when he was in the Senate that if they can't get here, they're not coming about large uh, <laughs> companies that we would try to locate here and obviously being able to move goods and people and receive the materials that they need in order to carry out the, the uh, work that that particular company would do, they have to have good roads and bridges, rail, other modes of transportation around them to support that and so by enhancing our system, we I think we do take major steps toward economic development. But beyond that, we're creating a system that's safer for the, the Mississippians that have to use it every day. We're protecting them by the uh, investment that they have now. Currently, taxpayers of this state have an investment in their transportation system that is valued at over $65 billion. Wow. And so we have the mission of trying to protect and, and maintain that investment but at the same time move through this nearly $7 billion list of capacity projects that are needed to – keep it efficient and as safe as possible
2: yeah that makes sense so what's the process here brad now i mean the governor's made this proposal we've still got to go through a legislative process oh yeah and and, and, and these conversations
5: have been going on like i said the lieutenant governor and speaker both are very supportive of this and it'll just be the negotiation process of the legislature and see how this balances with other needs that they see and uh, hopefully we'll be able to find some type of common ground that allows us to do some of this and i'm confident we will
2: okay Sounds good. Appreciate you coming thank in and giving us an having update. Me. I yes. appreciate it. Brad White, Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Transportation. Before you go, I just want to tell you that I had breakfast with some some uh, mutual friends this morning, and they were extremely complimentary of you and your work, and
5: I just want to pass oh, that on well, to thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's you got it. Kind. Brad White, Executive
2: Director of MDOT, has been our guest on Middays. We're coming right back.
1: Six days on the road, and I'm
2: The road and I'm gonna make it home tonight.
0: We interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: Back with you on Midday, Super Talk Mississippi. I'm just intrigued, uh, Rhino, that this issue of two things, the Social Security and Medicare is getting attention um, in in the mainstream media. It should. Not just just the issue of Joe Biden running around telling voters that Republicans are going to sunset it, but that hey, it's broke, and something's got to be done, so I, i'm I'm pleased to see at least it get elevated to the level of let's have a discussion about it, uh, and the Trump tax cuts, which just out there looming is a major issue coming up. I do think at this point it's highly likely that Joe Biden, is the um is the going to be the candidate on the Democrat side? I do think that's highly likely at this point. I'm not sure who's gonna take him on. And I'm
1: sure somebody will throw their hat in the ring, but yeah, he's the he's in the driver's seat at this point.
2: That I think that has a chance though of of uh winning out over him. I don't see that. I really don't. It's well, hard unless to believe.
1: Bernie Sanders gets a wild hair and
2: Reconvinces the burn bros to get behind him, <laughs> and that could be. I don't. I don't know at this point, but it just seems like it's setting up for Joe Biden to be back at it again. The state of California is fighting huge tax revenue shortfalls. They did have some surpluses, but they, of course, promptly spent it on programs, and they're looking at. Uh, having about $8 billion, an $8 billion shortfall when their fiscal year ends next summer. That's according to some analysts from the state that do review that sort of information at the state level in California. See where all that is going to take them. Just crazy stuff. What about Tiger Woods? This is a crazy story, folks. He's going to get canceled. He's got no chance. So, <laughs> <laughs> And this is another example where everybody walks around with a cell phone camera. And you can't pick your nose without it being recorded. And so he's playing golf with Justin Thomas. And he's at the Genesis Invitational. He's sort of been backing off on playing competitive golf because of his health. So he go out, goes out, and he's paired up with Justin Thomas, and <laughs> he outdrove Justin Thomas on a hole. I think it may have been the ninth hole, and uh, yeah, it was the ninth tee. He outdrove him. He hit it 323. That's a long drive, 323 yards to Thomas's 313. And as they're walking down the fairway and off the tee, approaching the fairway, Woods could be seen handing the younger of the pair a gift. That gift was a tampon, <laughs> uh, insinuating that. You're just a girl there. You're just a frail, weak girl with your 313 drive. I hey, took it more along you. the
1: lines of, why don't you try the women's tees?
2: <laughs> well, that's, uh, of course, that is common in the game of golf. If uh, What happens is there's a kind of a, an old uh, practice, informal practice, that if one does not drive it past the women's tees because they... They topped it off the tee or missed it, didn't go very far. Uh, They're supposed to walk down the fairway (laughs) with their male anatomy exposed to prove that they are males. No urinals, though. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I think, what's Woods, like 45, 46, something like that. And I don't think Justin Thomas is 30 yet. But Tiger's
1: 47.
2: Okay, there you go. And, and Justin Thomas is 29. All right, so just a year out. from. So you wouldn't expect normally a 47-year-old to outdrive a 29-year-old, but Tiger did, and he let him know it with the gesture of handing him <laughs> a tampon, which is just bizarre. By the way, the... <laughs> the uh, I've seen the uh, various articles about this incident. One headline was, no strings attached. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm just in the gutter here laughing about this. But I think the more notable aspect of this is you can't do anything without it being captured. And that's the sad thing is, if I'm not mistaken,
1: those two are actually buddies. They're pretty close. They're pretty close. it would be like if you were getting heat for cracking a joke with me. Uh,
2: exactly. And so you can't... You just, they Where hate fun.
1: that have no connection to the situation are being offended on someone else's behalf, even though the person that could potentially be offended and was the butt of the joke is not offended at all.
2: Exactly. They're offended on your behalf. And, and that's pretty much... It's the entirety of the left. The entire grievance industry component of the left. That's how they operate. They themselves haven't been aggrieved. (laughs) They haven't experienced any sort of wrongdoing, but they're virtuous because they're defending you, standing up for you. And, like, the people they're standing up for say, what the hell are you talking about (laughs) most of the time? It's like the entire Latino population of our country, where the left has hijacked the word Latino and transitioned it to Latinx. And they're all saying, what are you talking about? It doesn't work that way in our language. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah, you're offended by that, right? No, we're not offended by that. That's true, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) You you don't see a Mexican-American usually getting bent out of shape when there's a Halloween costume involving a poncho and a sombrero. (laughs) <laughs> it's usually some purple-haired white woman with power glasses being
2: perpetually offended. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> oh, it's exact. It's a liberal Karen. That's what it is. That's offended by it. Oh gosh, that's just sad. And it's it's unfortunate, especially because it's just in jest. They're just having fun. What happened to our world, our country in particular, where we could do stuff like that with impunity? Now it blows up all over the place. And you're right, subject to being canceled.
1: Once again, I wish I had the ability to bring back George Carlin. Golly, how how! I don't know that I would agree with him politically at this point in time, but to hear his response to some of the insanity that takes place across the country and around the world would be priceless.
2: Almost perfect, his response, (laughs) because I think he expressed the sentiments of the vast majority of society. He just had the cojones to say it, right, and uh, to to make uh, a living off of it. Honestly. I like to go back and watch the old um, Don Rickles celebrity roast Friars Club. I just laugh. Don at my Rickles club. is
1: one of the few people that could just tell you what he thought, <laughs> not sugarcoated at all, and got away with it a hundred percent of the time.
2: So good at it, and and whomever he's ridiculing, mocking, jousting with, they're laughing their rears off at it. That's what was so great is to watch their reaction. And, of course, he's close friends with and loves all they better people. than to,
1: try to go back and forth with him. Oh, yeah. He was so you quick.
2: <laughs> you ain't winning that one. What happened to those days? It was just fun. Now we got to have satanic rituals at Super Bowl. And don't say that because you'll get canceled. <laughs> the other day I saw Whoopi, I'm going to call her Whoopi Goldberg. Did you see this? She confused Tim Scott and Rick Scott, the senators. <laughs> One of which is black, the former, and the latter white, and she confused them. And she said the only way she knows them is when she sees them because they got different skin color. Oh god. Sounds a bit racist there, Whoopi. that's what I thought,
1: honestly. They should just make dueling campaign ads where they're uh they're brothers from another mother.
2: <laughs> I love it. Yeah, Jimbo on the C Spire text line says, Tiger and JT are very close. That's that's our understanding of it as well. And you can see in the photo when it's happening, they're both laughing. I think it's great. Cancel me if you don't. <laughs> I don't care. we got to lighten up on some of this stuff. It's no harm meant by it. No harm Received by it. But it's a microaggression. Oh, gosh, we're coming back on middays. We hope you stay with us.
0: FM Gerard Gibbert.
2: back in the Element Well Studios Today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear an interview with singer-songwriter Bryce Long. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by VisitMississippi.org. You can hear the show each Thursday and Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. on most Supertalk Mississippi stations, Supertalk.fm, and available everywhere you listen to podcasts. I also wanted to give a shout-out to... My uh, my colleagues in the IT industry, there is a national organization known as the Association of Information Technology Professionals, AITP, and there's a great local chapter here in the central Mississippi area. There are a few others across the state as well. And every year they, they uh, hold a, uh, a banquet, an event, where they honor uh, their Mississippian of the Year selection, and that occurred last night, and I was honored to be asked to install the new officers and the board of directors for the local chapter of the AITP, and I really appreciate, I really appreciate them asking me to do that, and appreciate uh, getting to getting to uh, visit with all the good folks in the AITP as well. And it was Jim Martin, by the way, who was honored as the Mississippian of the Year with the Mississippi Cyber Initiative, and it's customary for the honoree to deliver remarks. And Mr. Martin did an outstanding job describing the work of the Mississippi Cyber Initiative. I'm glad we have that in Mississippi. It's something I think is desperately needed, and it's... It is uh, a major challenge to all facets of society. And it's not just hacking computers and holding business systems ransom through ransomware, and, which is really just extortion, or destroying data or collecting data illicitly. But, you know, these great tools we all have are also used for all sorts of other illegal activity including human trafficking. So there are a lot of people that literally get hurt. Think about the goofy cartels and everything they're doing uh, down at the border and the havoc they are wreaking and the harm they're doing to innocent people and then shaking down them for money. Much of that crime is committed using all this technology. And so these guys do a great work for the state of Mississippi and also... Uh, feeds into the national efforts to combat illicit use of technology and um, and committing crimes, honestly, and also protecting our state, our, our public systems from attacks and breaches. So Mr. Martin did an excellent job. Just wanted to give a shout-out to um, the good folks in the AITP. It used to be called, Rhino, the DPMA. And that stands for the data processing. Back when that was the way we described information technology before we sort of shifted to to that description. Data processing is what we used to call it. And it was the Data Processing Management Association, DPMA. They do administer an exam, by the way. Uh, I think multiple exams, but there's one main one in particular. And it's, it is... Um, It is known as a Certified Computer Professional. I think that still applies. I think that's still in effect. And it's a a rather lengthy and difficult exam that one can sit for and pass and earn that designation. When I took it, it was called a Certified Data Processor, (laughs) CDP, and I took the exam and was fortunate to, uh, to pass it. And then when they changed the designation of it from CDP to CCP Certified Computer Professional, I wanted to upgrade my credi- update, I should say, my credentials. So I called the national office and I talked to the folks in charge of that, and they looked up my official number on my certificate, you know, from that, and they said, "Oh, oh yeah, that was so long ago. <laughs> you're automatically grandfathered." So I didn't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> it uh, Clearly made me cognizant of my age, but uh, it also was a good thing that I didn't have to retake the test. 1983, by the way, is when I took uh, the exam, and it mostly is taken by folks that are in pursuit or just having come off of um, advanced degrees in the various com- uh, computer disciplines there, technology disciplines. But it's a great organization, and Mississippi's chapter has been around a long time, and it's very good. just wanted to point that out. Ed from New Hope says, Gerard, you didn't mention Dot receives funds from the lottery. And Ed is precisely correct. How could I forget that? Having spent an, uh, uh, much time building out the lottery and, and honored and fortunate to serve on the board. You're right. And just a reminder there, folks, the lottery is an instrumentality of the state. That is how it is legally structured. It is, a, it is a private organization which is wholly owned by the state of Mississippi, but it functions and operates like a private entity. Uh, so, for example, it does not participate in state benefits, such as PERS and, and insurance, et cetera, and it does not have to adhere to state compensation policy as well. It is a completely separate entity, but its profit, also known in that category of accounting, as net proceeds. The net proceeds go to the state of Mississippi, the first 80 million in a year, in a fiscal year. In fact, as Ed points out, are transferred to the State Highway Fund, and the excess goes to uh, the Education Enhancement Fund. Now the lottery, just to clarify, simply makes that transfer to the State Treasurer who is then responsible for dispersing those funds into those two funds, the State Highway Fund, the Education Enhancement Fund. So that's $80 million a year. Now, th- that's a, a large chunk of money, of course. The, the Last I checked, the DOT's annual budget is around a billion, as I recall. I think it's in, in the neighborhood of a billion. Uh, but there's been certainly uh, much value derived from the lottery from the perspective of the State Highway Fund. And, of course, the excess has really pumped up that Education Enhancement Enhancement Fund, which is primarily used to fund the the uh, school supply program. You, you guys are probably familiar with the the debit cards the teachers receive to purchase supplies for their classrooms. They get an allocation. That money is partially allocated to that purpose. They're talking about the Education Enhancement Fund and the money the lottery provides to it. It's also used for uh, various capital projects, such as stadiums, classrooms, Uh, um, renovation, remodeling of the school buildings themselves, and there's some other uses. I can't remember. It's all prescribed in law exactly how that money is allocated, and the state treasurer is responsible for allocating and doling out that money in accordance with the law that established the Education Enhancement Fund. Uh, Just an update on the lottery. I I know we have folks uh, on Paul's show that always discuss uh, lottery activities, and in fact, uh, locally here we had the communications director, Meg Annison, for the state lottery on Mary Whedon show. But um, just to give you a sense of where we stand this fiscal year, now that we are seven months into it, roughly, uh, and not counting February, uh, not counting February, but January, seven full months. Because our fiscal year starts, of course, July one. We're on a run rate that is is going to be similar to the prior two full years, generating uh, about a uh, about four hundred fifty million in that neighborhood of gross sales, and a hundred and twenty two or three million to a hundred and thirty million net proceeds, is what uh, the run rate currently. If you annualized our um, our financial performance to date, so it's it's been way successful beyond what we projected and I would attribute that to the fantastic team that is in place at the Mississippi Lottery Corporation and and um, I think the receptive nature of the citizens of the state and those from out of state that, that also pass through and buy lottery tickets and the great retailers that sell them. All that's been very positive in my view for the state. You may be an opponent of the state lottery and that's perfectly fine but it was enacted in the law passed by the legislature it is the law and so let's let's make sure that it's operated at the highest level of integrity and and produces maximum benefit for the state that's what we do.
1: On the C Spire text yep. line, Stephen Batesville has a funny about your uh, certification there. What's that? He says, so you're a member of the
2: CCP? <laughs> I haven't even thought about that. but <laughs> I might need to go look up to see if that's still the uh, the acronym, Designation Certified Computer Professional. <laughs> that's a good one, Steve. Appreciate it. Coming right back with a final segment on Midday. Midday.
0: Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: I'm tell you where my journey
1: record jacket is
2: stored.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna guess it's hiding and raised on radio.
2: Yeah. Ah, I like that. That was uh 1986. You got it, I believe. <laughs> That's incredible. Raised on the radio. A great uh great artwork on that. Back when that was a thing, we don't focus on that anymore, do we? That but you always like the new albums to see what's the artwork look like? And of course the album size oh, le- yeah. lent itself to to really wanting to do something flashy. And that one's a great one. It's got the old art deco looking radio station out in the middle of nowhere. With the two towers on <laughs> yeah, either side. Yeah. With the lightning yeah. bolts coming
1: out. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I mean, in fairness, some of those Journey album covers are like, okay, I'm not nearly inebriated or on enough chemicals for this to be cool, but that one
2: definitely is pretty cool. <laughs> it that is a good one. Raised on the radio. That's when they had uh, Randy Jackson was the bassist. I think we talked about that from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, that looked like a bunch of triangles, which is what we look like in 1986. How can they cancel him, says Bobby in Batesville, referring to Tiger Woods, handing a tampon to his playing partner (laughs) because he out uh, out drove him. I mean, according to cancel culture, men can have periods. Maybe it was a friend helping a friend. That's a good one there. I appreciate that. Ben from Madison says, the lottery expands liberty and raises revenue without raising taxes. Most conservatives should like that. I agree with you, Ben. And most of the I think most of the opposition comes from folks that feel like that it maybe crosses the line from a a moral perspective, and I I respect that. But what I know is it's the law. It was duly enacted into law, voted on by representatives and senators, elected by the people, signed into law by Governor Phil Bryant. I just got asked to help set the thing up. That, That really is it. All of us on the board did and hire the people to run the place that was our that was our our mission our duty and I feel like we did it what about playing the journey video game at funtime skateland inebriated that's that's a good one too Funtime time skateland out in um, that would be locally out off of Lakeland Drive here In Rankin County, in Central Mississippi,
1: I can honestly say I'm looking at it on Google. I have never seen that arcade cabinet.
2: I've seen a lot of arcade cabinets. I have never
1: seen that one. What the Journey one? Oh yeah, that is a wild cabinet. It's cool. It's awesome. The game looks a little weird, but that's a that's a wild looking cabinet.
2: (laughs) It's pretty cool. Ben from Madison says, I agree with you on the flag. I think the vast majority of the state is very happy with the flag that currently flies over our state capital." Yeah, one-time money talking about um, Brad White's discussion of the funding mechanism for this $1.3 billion. Or is he referring to ARPA money or something like the Rainy Day Fund? No, He's what he's talking about is the ARPA money I think, and and we got money before ARPA as part of the COVID funding, a whole bunch of money sprinkled down on the states. That generated surpluses. So not just direct transfers to the state, but think about all the money that was sent to the individuals and companies through PPP, individuals through unemployment benefits and STEMI checks. Well, that money of course, circulated in the economy, and that produced more tax revenues for the state, sales taxes in particular. And so the state ended up with more revenue than it projected. And, uh, and, of course, in states, unlike the federal government, you have to balance the budget. So we ended up with surpluses and filled up the rainy day fund. I certainly commend the governor for and and our legislature for ensuring that the first thing we did is get that thing maxed out because you know what? We might just have a rainy day again. Uh so that's what's going on there, Ben. Appreciate that too. Thomas, uh you're like perpetually aggrieved here. What what are you talking about? Uh Yeah, he's uh, not happy about banning gender-affirming care. Is that right? Did I get him right there, Rhino? Mississippi trying to ban gender-affirming care, only giving cadence cadence to their claims of discrimination. How prevalent is gender-affirming care in Mississippi? Trans people are doing a great job of discrediting themselves. Let's not step in. Okay so this isn't just about gender affirming care i think most people including me see this as child abuse it's not about gender affirming care for adults i could care less made that very clear if you want to go mutilate your body that way and ingest all kinds of drugs to change your your gender your sex go right ahead if you're an adult you're under that and you're at the uh the whims of parents that think this is the right thing to do i got a problem with that i think it's incumbent upon society to protect the most vulnerable and that would be children for sure why was this deserving of a special session i don't know oh you're talking about the lottery i'll talk about that monday stay safe god bless have a good weekend a super talk mississippi media production